Hello and welcome to Sick Transit Gloria here on WNYU 89.1 FM. I'm Anna. I'm Sabina. And we recently went up to the Museum of the City of New York. Hi, I'm Steve Jaffe. I'm a curator here at the Museum of the City of New York. Yeah, so we started off in this room where Steve was showing us um, an exhibition about the history of New York, which was focused on some different principles that he talked about. And so in this first gallery of New York at its core, we have a number of uh, rare artifacts which um, we believe tell the story of the mixing of peoples and also the way they maintain distinct identities even when they were uh, literally sort of jostling each other in the streets or in the households. So for example, in front of us here in these cases, we have uh, material relating to the early Jewish history of New York. New York City was the first North American community to have a Jewish uh, colonial presence uh, starting in 1654 with the arrival of Jews in Manhattan. We also have though here uh, some very remarkable and rather unusual objects pertaining to the early African American history of New York City. And if you were standing here with me in front of this case, you might look down through the glass at these objects and say, hmm, this is a strange assortment of things to have in a museum. It looks like three dried out old corn cobs, a piece of a seashell, a piece of bone, a small leather shoe, and a piece of an old leather bag. And they're all sitting here next to a picture of a, an old photograph, actually, of a building which is still standing in Marine, the Marine Park neighborhood in Brooklyn, which is the Hendrick Lot House. This was a farmstead uh, that belonged over several generations to an old Dutch colonial family. We know from the surviving records that by the 1700s and early 1800s, this was a family which both had uh, enslaved African laborers that they owned living on the farmstead with them, as well as hiring some free uh, African-American laborers who may have been related to the people who were enslaved. What's fascinating about this set of material is it was all excavated from under the floorboards of the attic of this house, which still stands in South Brooklyn. And archeologists have speculated that this assemblage of material, which was arranged, sort of clustered under the floorboards, um, um, in, under the, in the attic of the building, were perhaps a spirit bundle, what is known as a spirit bundle. Throughout the Eastern United States, wherever slavery existed up until the Civil War, archeologists have found similar bundles of materials, often seemingly random, but clustered together, sometimes under the threshold, buried under the threshold of a quote unquote slave quarters, sometimes buried within a household itself under floorboards or under a dirt floor been really interested in some artifacts from um, like black soldiers who had fought for the Union because I know that there was a fairly large group of people um, in New York City who sort of fit under that umbrella. When Steve was taking us through the first exhibition, all I could think about was the American dream, like talking about money, talking about diversity, creativity. 
it sounded like maybe it was the birthplace of the American dream. And I asked him about it. Um, and I've kind of been thinking about it ever since. Really? Yeah, like it's where people come if they want to get the job that will make them the money. You know, like I know people who are in New York City who are miserable, but they're here because they want to get the job that's going to make them the money so that they can live the American dream. Or people will come to New York City and they'll work a professional life and then they'll move to the suburbs or something like that. Do you think that the American dream is real? Do you think it can be fulfilled? I mean, I think about my grandfather a lot, actually. Like he kind of his like story in a nutshell is like he dropped out of high school when he was 16, like had to take care of his grandparents, didn't really know his parents got into the insurance business and eventually made like a lot of money later in life actually in New York City like that was great for him and that kind of is the American dream like I can say I know somebody who has lived the American dream like my American dream is very different from like the American dream but I think that New York City definitely has historically been and is currently a place where people come to try to live what is commonly conceived of as like the quote-unquote American dream yeah I think offering i guess kind of a different perspective i you could probably we should probably ask my parents but i think that they fulfilled the american dream like both of them came here relatively young my mom was completely alone my dad went to public high school in queens straight straight from india that was a mess um and my mom went to college here by herself they've pretty i think they've built themselves up but i also think it's totally of the time that they came and it was all right time right place Yeah, no, I think the thing about the American dream is that I think the myth of it is that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but the reality of it is that you can live the American dream if you're lucky. So this is our brand new exhibition that just opened last week. It is called City of Workers, City of Struggle, How Labor Movements Change New York. And it's really an exhibition devoted to telling the story of how New York City became one of the great labor cities in New York, a place whose history is really intertwined with that of unions, the rise of unions, but also more recently the rise of what are known as new labor or alt-labor organizations like worker centers that advocate for the rights of uh, often undocumented recent immigrants and other people who are really struggling in a very changing economy, an urban economy which um, is often uh, very hard for people to navigate uh, these days. So we take that story back to the early 19th century and bring it all the way forward in this gallery. And one of the first things that you encounter in this exhibition is this wall mural, this huge blow up originally a wood engraving that we've made into a floor-to-ceiling wall mural showing Union Square in 1882 during the first Labor Day parade. And New Yorkers in unions invented Labor Day. This was the very first Labor Day ever. It, It then spread from New York City across the country. And what you see in this view uh, that we have on the wall is all of these tens of thousands of unionized workers in 1882. This is at a time when New York City already had 100,000 unionized wage earners in various unions. And what's great about it, of course, is that they're holding these placards, as you see in this wood engraving, saying things like eight hours to constitute a day's work. This is in an era when many factory workers and others uh, would work 10, 11, 12 hours 
uh, often under very harsh, arduous conditions for low wages. And what's interesting is some people have asked, people, New Yorkers who have some historical memory know that really for decades, really up through the 1940s and 50s, Union Square was the place where labor unions often held rallies or protests or parades. It was actually a place where left-wing organizations and political parties of various forms held their, uh, held their events. Actually, the Communist Party headquarters for the United States was right near Union Square. And so people are s sort of assuming, well, Union Square must be called Union Square because of labor unions. And that's actually completely wrong. It's a pure coincidence because Union Square is called Union Square because of the union or convergence of several major streets there. So it's 14th Street and Broadway and uh, Park Avenue South. And when, the, when Union Square was laid out, Earlier in the 19th century, they thought that uh, this was a convenient name for the place because it was the union of all these major thoroughfares. It's a great convergence point. It's a great crossroads for uh, people who really are part and parcel of New York becoming the great iconic left of center or liberal city, which it really becomes um, in sort of the popular perception by the early 20th century in America. Uh, James Sanders, who's done work here over the years, once said that New York is a machine for change. It's an accelerator of change. And I think that's true, that we've often been at the cutting edge of the entire society, culturally or politically, because so many different people are kind of thrown together here, which of course is a manifestation of density as well. And sometimes that density is very uncomfortable or miserable for people, but another form of density is the experience of encountering people who change your mind and with whom you're exchanging views, sometimes harmoniously, sometimes competitively, sometimes with anger, but out of all of that friction and zip comes newness, comes innovation. Pete Seeger, the late folk singer and political activist, once said that the role, and he was thinking of New York and his own experience, he said, uh, the role of great cities is to bring into contact individuals who otherwise would never have met each other. I remember when I moved to New York my freshman year of college, wow, getting sentimental now, um, someone told me there is something for everyone here. Like if you like, and I think they just named like the most random thing. It was like, if you like frog toes, there's someone else in the entire New York City that also likes frog toes. And I was like, this is great. I, I could do this. <laughs> had a very uh, distinct image of who I'd be in five years when I did a tour here. And I was like, I think I need to make the move to New York now, as opposed to like in four years when everyone else does mm -hmm. post-grad. I think one of the things that really attracted me about this city was the anonymity. I grew up in not even the middle of nowhere, but someone from New York would find it the middle of nowhere. Um, it was a small, small area, small town. And I was really ready to be able to do whatever I wanted um, and to like have a, a sort of freedom to almost make mistakes and to sort of see different things and do different things and meet people that I wouldn't otherwise. I think that anyone can find a place here, but I don't think that it's the best place for everyone.
It is gross and weird and a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that I'm here. I think a lot of people use New York as a like an incubator of sorts for their like 20s. And then at some point they're like, thanks, New York. Goodbye. <laughs> you were too much for me. I don't know if I'm one of those. I haven't determined that yet, actually. Sometimes I'm like, I would die here. And other times I'm like, I will die here in the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sabina, is this your last episode as a co-host? I think so. Yeah, it's been really cool. I really like going to the opera with you, Anna. That was really fun. Yeah, I think this podcast has allowed me to be reflective of my experience in New York and learn more about the experiences that have come before me. Thanks so much for listening to this whole past season of Sick Transit, Gloria, if if you have. Yeah, and if you haven't, check us out if you want, but you don't have to. You, you, you can. But you, you don't want. have to. Um, on, on Apple Podcasts, because we're now on uh, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> it's crazy. You can subscribe. You can leave us a review. We've received one. Oh, it's a bomb review. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So if you have something contradictory to that, Write it, write it in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and, and look forward to the future. We're going to have some really good stuff lined up. I feel it. The ideas were flowing. You're listening to Sick Transit Gloria on WNYU 89.1 FM. I'm Sabina. And I'm Anna. Our theme song is New York Minute Prayer by Shilpa Ray. And a thanks to the Museum of the City of New York for helping us out with this episode. And Steve. Good night, New York. <laughs> That's it. That's, <laughs> we have to end the season there. We have to end the podcast there, actually. Like a sycophant, like an idiot, this is my New York Minute Prayer. I can talk louder. Oh, God. Never do that again.